0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. One well, of that's interesting about Jesus is that he often did the same thing in his conversations with people. Surprisingly, Jesus sometimes had a similar effect on his listeners. He would talk to them in a way that actually created more confusion than it did clarity. He didn't talk slower and louder, like uh, he wasn't having the, the comprehension issue, but he talked to them in what we call, refer to as Parables. And for some people, they went, "Ah, oh, okay, I get it." Other people who are listening is like, "What in the world are you talking about?" And they completely had no understanding whatsoever. They didn't grasp anything. Now, if you're to look up, if you're just do a little Google search on the word parable, you come up with a definition of something like this: A parable is a short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a moral principle. It is a simple narrative used to deliver the message in a setting limited characters and actions. Basically, it's a process of comparison that starts with familiar everyday life and leads to a deeper understanding of a larger principle. That's a parable. Now, for the next few weeks, we're actually going to be um, looking at some of the parables of Jesus. Now, what's interesting, you look in Mark chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples um, and, and um I forget which verse it actually is. Uh, I think it's verse 38. He says, let's go to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. And he says this, this is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out sermons. So this idea of teaching and preaching was central to the ministry of Jesus as he saw it. He saw that his purpose and part of his mission wasn't just the cross, but there's the preaching and the teaching leading up to it that was vital if, if his mission, if his ministry was to have any effect. So for someone then whose primary purpose was teaching and preaching, you would think that clarity would be of utmost importance. You know, you take a complex you know, concept or topic and then kind of break it down into bite-sized pieces. Um, you know, something they could digest and understand that they would bring clarity to it Um, but Jesus doesn't do that. Quite often, in fact, it, it appears that Jesus goes in the opposite direction, and he intentionally tries to make things more complicated. Now get this, in Matthew chapter 13, he and the disciples are having a conversation. And so the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Now that little bit about seeing and hearing is actually a quote from the book of Isaiah. So Jesus was reaching back into some of the prophetic words about his ministry to make a, a connection here. But literally, Jesus was acknowledging the fact that some of the people I'm not to talk to are gonna get it, and some of you get it because, you're part, some, because you, you have that understanding of truth. For some of the people, it won't. It's actually gonna make things worse. In, in Mark chapter four, we read that with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. I just think that's really interesting that here is that teaching was such a prominent part of his life and ministry, yet he wasn't concerned about everyone getting the idea of what he was trying to say. Um, That was meant for um, a group. Now, parables by and large, a couple things to notice about them. The, The most parables were intended to convey a truth about the kingdom of God, Many of the parables start with the kingdom of God is like, and he creates this, this scenario or this, this real-life uh, setting in which they can understand or grasp the concept. Um, and the reason why he had to talk in parables is because this whole idea of the kingdom of God was unknown to them at the time. What is, what is, what is that? They're, you got to remember that in that day, you know, they, they understand God and they, Je- they worship Jehovah as part of the Jewish people. And they were expecting the Messiah, but the Messiah was going to be a political leader, a military leader who was going to overthrow the Romans and lead them back to the glory days that they experienced when David was king. That's what the expectation, that for them was heaven on earth. And so Jesus had to say, wait a minute, this little band of people right here the word, this, is the king, this is what we're talking about. This is, my, this, is the, this is the arrival of God's kingdom here on earth. Um, so that's why I said the kingdom of God is like yeast. You can't see it. It may not look like it, but it affects everything it touches and comes in contact with. So this idea of the kingdom of God was prominent in Jesus' parables. He also parables. He also had to convey this idea that in the kingdom of God... There's this upside-down view of life. The greatest were the least, and the least were the greatest, and such contrary to the cultural dynamics of the time. They were so interested in titles and position, and, and for Jesus to say, wait a minute, we're not going to do that because the kingdom of God, I'm trying to help you understand that this is not how we do things anymore. The kingdom of God is like this. And so we'd introduce new thoughts and ideas and the poor are more valuable sometimes than the rich and those of low status have more effect than those of high status and wanted to convey an idea that was so contrary. But also this idea that the kingdom of God required an action on our part. A number of the parables dealt with this idea of um, there's, there's action required. You know, there's the parable of the talents, some of you may be familiar with that, where you need to do something with God has given you. There is action required. And again, that's part of the kingdom of God. Um, still, in the midst of life, why confuse people with parables? Why not make it clear to them? And here's where I've landed. And again, I can't say this is, this is it. I, I, it works for me, um, but, I, but this is largely my opinion. Jesus spoke in parables, not in order to be clear, but to test his listeners you really get it? Tell me what you just, what, what did you just hear? And if they could feed back to him what was going on, it's like, you got it. You understand. And he was able then to, for them to grasp it. And so that was his purpose, was to create this idea of thinking. And for those who were open to his words, those who were open to receiving and wanting to understand, the parables gave them something to contemplate. You know, as they're walking back home, eating dinner or doing the chores, whatever, they're reflecting and thinking about it. it's like, oh, I get it now. They had, they, the, the parables revealed greater insight into the kingdom of God. For those who were opposed to him, you know, some of the religious leaders, those who, who, didn't, who had this animosity towards them from the very beginning, for those people, the parables created mystery, and really what he did is allow Jesus to not get bogged down in premature controversy. You know, because you because got to realize his message of the kingdom threatened the very existence of the culture and of the religious hierarchy. And so for him to come out up day one and say, all right, we're going to blow this all up and start all over, that would not have gone over well. He probably would have found himself on a cross at the end of the week. He needed to get at least three years out of this. And so the parables allowed him to have the conversations in public, but in a way that didn't force the issue prematurely. So the parables are not just stories, but they're riddles to be unlocked and word pictures to help us gain understanding of the principles of God's kingdom. Now, interestingly enough, the parables are found, they're found throughout the Bible, but the parables of Jesus are found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. None are in John. None in the book of John. Now, there's approximately 30 unique parables in those three gospels. Um, I say approximately um, because some of the parables are clearly identified. The kingdom of God is like. And we know that, that's a, that he's, he's put in a parable. Some of them aren't set up that way. So is that a, is he actually, is that a parable? Is he actually telling a true story? You know, what, what's going on here? And so there's, there's, there's not consensus if you look up at the parables of Jesus, you know, if you do a Google search for that and you're going to find some people say, well, there's 25 parables. Some people might say, I think the one had like, like 38 different parables of Jesus. And so, um, again, you're, you're, there's going to, the, the number is going to vary. But today we're actually going to uh, uh, our starting point. We're going to look at a couple parables. Um, there's two very short ones in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46, So if you want to follow along in in your Bible or on your uh, device, or you can follow along in the screen here as well. So the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Okay, that's the one parable. The second one then comes up here. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, uh, Lord, your word. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to dig a little deeper into this idea of parables uh, spoken by Jesus. And Lord, I ask that you give us insight and help us understand more about what you're trying to convey that uh, about your kingdom not the, the world in which we live but the way you would want us to live according to, to your guide guidance uh, so Lord open our eyes to see may we be ones who, who, who see accurately may you open our ears that we may hear uh, in the next few minutes that we're together and so in Jesus name I pray all these things Amen uh, Erica can I have the, the verse back in the slide again? I have it back on the screen. Okay, so let's take the first one here. The first, the top half. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When the man found it, he hid it again, and then on his way went, and then in his joy went, and so he hadn't bought that field. So we have three elements here. We have a field. We have a treasure. We have a man. Who's who's who? If, if we're making this application, if we're trying to write, what is he trying to convey? Who's the man? okay I, I, I'm hearing this, this, it's okay to talk right now I'm opening it up So, uh, and also we can't talk it's church um, um, who, who is the man who would he represent us okay who what is the what is the treasure okay and what's the field then okay interesting okay um, and, and th- there's no wrong answers here and you're going to see why here in a second all right so let's take the second one Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pu- pearls. Who's the merchant? Okay, and uh, the pearls. Okay, okay, and uh, there was we don't have a field, so we have to worry. Okay, so we just have those two. Now, um, so the way we've responded, and the way most of us have responded, has been the tr- is the traditional way that those passage has been understood. We are the ones who are looking. when we find great value, something of great value, whether it's salvation or Jesus or the kingdom of God, it's worth selling all we have for in order to obtain that. And, and that's fine. One of the interesting aspects of a parable though is that you can look at it from a different angle, different side. It's kind of like a prism. It's the same, it's the same object. Have you ever looked at a prism and in the light and you look at it from one angle and you see red? It's the same prism, but you just look at it and the light hits it differently. You now see green. Or you see yellow. Nothing's changed except your perspective on the same issues. Parables can have that same function. It's not that that you want to change it entirely. It's like it can be nuanced a little differently. We're going to do that this morning. For the sake of conversation, for us to kind of just take a different look at this and see what might break free, we want to look at this a little bit differently. So as we look to the two parables, we need to ask, are we represented by the man or the treasure? Are we represented by the merchant or the pearl? How we answer these questions changes the application of the truth that is revealed. So today we're going to look at these two parables from the perspective that we are the treasure, we are the pearl. We are the items of great value, and Jesus is the one who sought us out. God is not the one who is hidden or lost we are God is the one doing the searching and he has paid the ultimate price of sending his son to die that we might live so with this perspective in mind what might be some takeaways for us from this uh, from this parable so one of the thoughts here is that your value is determined by whose image you bear how do we assign value to something Who determines, the, value, who determines the, the praised price? What's fair? What's I know there's a, there's a process. and we, we put numbers in and it comes up with it. But who actually determined that? <laughs> okay. my, my youngest son, Peter, who's now 28. Uh, just uh, Back when he was six, his name was Peter. So I'll reference Peter. He was six or seven years old. I can't remember exactly. It was around that time frame. Um, this was the day, some of you, or contemporaries more of mine, or, or have kids, or even you may have collected them, Pokemon cards. Remember that? It was, a, one of these cartoon things, and so that was the thing. They were collecting Pokemon cards. And one day, I noticed that Peter has a new card. I was like, where'd you get that? And, uh, oh, I brought it from Johnny down the road, one of the other kids in the neighborhood. Well, Johnny's about three or four years older than Peter. And, um, how much did you pay for it? I don't know. I just gave him all the money I had. <laughs> and I knew that Peter just had a birthday, and his grandparents had sent him money. So all these little bells and sirens started going off in my head. Um, so I said, let's go visit Johnny. And, uh, <laughs> We were, able to, we were we went down and we had the conversation. It was funny because Johnny's like, "I knew this wasn't gonna work." <laughs> Just uh, Peter had Peter given like forty five dollars um, for a card that probably cost twenty five cents, and uh, he was it was. Anyways, it was we laugh about it now. But Peter had no concept at that time, at that age, for the value of money. Just he had no he had no way to balance what's the true value of this. So, even though he didn't have a, a true sense of concept of the value of money, his situation helps us answer the question what makes something valuable? And the answer is simply this something is valuable if someone thinks it is. Something is valuable if someone thinks it is. In the two parables we read a few minutes ago, Jesus is telling us that we are valuable to God. The problem is that when it comes to assessing our own value, we tend to do the opposite of my son Peter. We tend to underestimate our value to God. We look at our circumstances and our shortcomings and our faults and all the things that that just don't work in our life and we notice everything wrong about ourselves and we think that God must look at us that way too. And these two parables are almost shouting at us. Don't allow the people around you, the circumstances you've experienced, or the world you live in to determine your value. God declares that you are his treasure. In fact, this takes me to point number two, in fact, you are so valued to God that he paid the ultimate price for you. Although my son, Peter, was misguided in his assessment of the value of the Pokemon card, his actions also help us answer another question. <clears throat> what is something worth? It's worth whatever someone is willing to pay for it. And here's the thing. The Pokemon card was valuable to Peter because he didn't have it. It was one he didn't have. It wasn't part of his collection. He needed. And honestly, although you know, he's still at a pretty young age, We would, if you want to boil it all down, he was motivated by Greed. I want that. I don't have it. I need that. It it fulfilled that part in his life, even at that young age. What motivated God to purchase us? Now, although these these two parables don't give us any insight into that question or the answer to that question, we do know from other parts of Scripture what the motivation was. From John 3.16, we know that for the Heavenly Father, for God so loved the world he gave his only son. Love is what motivated him. And then Jesus is talking again with his disciples in John chapter 15. He's talking with his disciples um, and he's talking about himself. And he makes this statement, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Greater love has no, the greater love has no one than this. So both the father and the son were motivated by love. Which is why God paid the ultimate price for you and me, the wife of his son, Jesus Christ. We are valuable to him because he loves us. And that leads me to my last thought here. Whereas you may think others see you as damaged goods, God sees you as a valued treasure. Now, today, 20 years Later, uh, Peter is extremely thrifty with his money. Just cheap as anybody gets up. Uh, generous. I, so I don't want to give a thing, but just he's a minimalist. He can, you know, both he and my older son are Eagle Scouts, and they can cake what they need, you know, pack what they need for a week in a sock, you know, and they're good. And, uh, uh, <laughs> But, but today, he understands the value of money, and, and, um, and he looks for value when he spends it. You know, he, he doesn't want to just buy something that's inexpensive and cheap. He wants to buy something that's going to last, and, and so he gets that, and, um, and I'm really proud of him, you know, how, how that's grown, and uh, here's the thing. That one childhood foolish incident didn't define the rest of his life. He grew. He changed. His behavior has changed because of that. I think the parable of the treasure in the field has a very interesting aspect to it. Now, here's a, we don't know what the treasure is. It doesn't say, you know, is it gold? Is it a, a painting? Is it, you know, what is it? Coin, we, we have no idea what it is, just that it was valuable. But what does the man do when he finds it? He reburies it. He sticks it back in the dirt, doesn't he? tell you, I should go and purchase the property. Here's the thing that that strikes me. The surroundings of the treasure had absolutely no effect on its value. Now, it may have been wrapped in rags, or it could have been in a beaten up box. Um, You know, we really don't know. It didn't matter. The treasure in the dirt is still valuable that's how God sees us. We may be damaged, we may be dirty, we may have faults, but we are still valuable in his sight. The man in the parable was concerned about the treasure, not the circumstances in which he found it. Likewise, Christ sees our value in spite of all the broken, the messy, value-distorting fears and sin we have covered ourselves in. He set aside his divine privileges and came to earth in the form of a baby. And a manger. Romans five tells us that, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this: while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I remember having a conversation with a young man once, and he made this statement: "says As soon as I get my life cleaned up, I'm coming back to church." I, I, Honestly, I didn't know what to say. It caught me off guard, and I didn't. I wish now, in hindsight, I haven't had a chance to think about that. One is just to say, "Dude, we're all messed up. Don't wait." <laughs> you know, you know. But I also was saddened by that's how he viewed the church. He viewed the church as people who have everything right together, and everything was was. And I was like, "No. Some of us may fake it really well, but none of us." None of us have it figured out. None of us have it all together. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. He didn't wait for us to get all cleaned up and say, okay, now, now you're worthy of my death. Our value was in who we were in the moment he found us, not in what we might do with ourselves. On the cross, Jesus was the man and the merchant who sold everything he had to pay for the treasure that had been hidden and the pearl of great price to him. In Christ, you were bought with a price. So now live as one truly valued by God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that Jesus liked to talk to us in parables. Um, very creative ways to communicate a message. And Lord, as we've taken a little different approach to this, this parable than we might traditionally look at it, it helps us understand your love for us, that you, you, you see us as being valuable. Lord, I know each of us, the first thing we see when we look in the mirror are the things where we fall short or things that come to mind, the mistakes we've made that week or even that morning. Ways we've fallen short and the way we've treated, we've treated our spouse, our kids, our, our friends, loved ones, thoughts that go through our mind during the day, things we say, things we don't say, aren't all those immediately come to mind when we think about our relationship with you. The enemy brings those things up so fast and we're, we're so easily recognized. But what these parables have told us that in spite of that, even though we might be in the dirt, you still see us as being valuable. So valuable that Jesus would come and die for us. So Lord, may that become our identity. May that become how we see ourselves, not because of what we've attained, not because of anything we've achieved, <clears throat> but simply because we've been bought by the blood of Jesus. You have paid for us once and for all. Nothing more is needed. May we accept and receive that grace today, father, if there 's anyone here who is struggling with that, I pray that they would once and for all settle that in their mind and heart, that the enemy would no longer be able to cause them to fear where they might stand with you, that yes, we may will we'll continue to make mistakes, so come to that place of of surrender. <clears throat> doesn't fix the issue once and for all, we'll continue to make mistakes, but we never again have to doubt whether or not we belong to you or yours. And you will continue to work in us your purposes, shaping us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. So Father, we're here. Lord, you see every one of us for who we truly are. There's no facades. There's nothing that can dissuade you, Lord God. You see us. You see us. You see us. You see us. us. God, take us, this this motley crew, uh, and use us for your purposes. May we be so convinced of your love and mercy that that we live our lives in a way that are contagious to other people. In our conversations, in our relationships, that that we would be a light for you to others. And uh, so, Father, we continue to put our lives in your hands and trust in you for all these things. In Jesus' name I pray Amen For more information on Grace Covenant Church Our service times, ministry opportunities Directions and more Visit us at gracecovenant.org